I love Jared Allen. Fear the The frog. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. (laughs) Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. A Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am your host, Bob Schmidt. Voice of Fox Sports Radio. Lifelong Cleveland Cavaliers fan. And this is is a new season, a new edition of the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cavalier and NBA podcast discussing all things wine and gold. We have a lot to discuss, as yesterday was media day, sort of the the first chance to sit down with the guys and have a whole summer's worth of questions answered after all the additions, all the subtractions, the new faces, Donovan Mitchell being a huge theme at media day, and of course, the loss of Sexton Lowry and Ochai Abaji. But... Let's get into it. What did we take away from Media Day yesterday? Well, certainly, we got to see some themes that we've seen at other press conferences from the Cavaliers. I wouldn't say that there was anything shocking in the sense of a lot of things were preached, which we've heard preached consistently. Continuity, chemistry, character, how much time went into the process with Donovan Mitchell and what made them comfortable with it. A lot of questions were asked to all the guys who spoke. And they came out of the gate with Kevin and then Ricky and then Lavert, some of the vets. And then we got to hear from Garland and Mobley and finally Jared Allen. Now, Donovan Mitchell didn't take questions for the, you know, the big table. He might have had some sidebars along the way. But one of the recurring themes from Media Day was where were you when you heard about the Donovan Mitchell trade? So we got to realize, and I, and I think what I took away from a lot of this, it's things that have been reported over the summer, of course, by Chris Fedor and others. But the Cavs put in work over the summer. A lot of the guys were working together, traveling around. In fact, when the deal went down for Donovan Mitchell, multiple guys yesterday, Garland, Levert, Evan Mobley, all said that they were working out when they heard the news. And Kevin Love said he reached out to him right away. Now, he wasn't with the guys on their trip to uh, Nashville. but. He was with them a huge chunk of the summer from the sounds of things. And just of the guys, obviously the one everybody's most excited to see in regards to who takes a big leap this year would be Evan Mobley because, you know, he was a rookie. He's probably will make a massive leap. That's generally the way that it goes. The difference between Garland's first year and second year was leaps and bounds. You had a lot of people who were critical after year one, but year two, Took a big step forward. Year three, of course, took an even bigger step forward. And now we have an all-star point guard who signed a massive deal, which was touched on yesterday at Media Day as well. He he spoke about celebrating in Vegas and how much it meant to him and how excited he is to be here for another few years at least, he said. But several years, obviously. So who did we hear from? Well, we heard from Kevin Love, who by all accounts will probably continue what he did last year. He seemed very happy, especially when it came to the re-signing of Ricky Rubio. What does it mean to have Ricky back? Uh, It's amazing. That was, uh, you know, he's a guy I've, you know, stayed in touch with, been friends with, been close to in this league for for such a long time. I'm, I'm 
you know, for me, selfishly, very, very happy to to have him back. You know, because once healthy, he he's a guy that really I feel like uh, I really do believe he was the one who, you know, encompassed everything that we were about last year. So you know, for for myself and everybody, it was devastating losing him. You know, just having him back, I think is is he just has that way about him, that quiet confidence about him that you know what you're going to get. And again, like building the culture here, he was such a big part of that last year. And even when he wasn't around, his presence was felt. Kevin seems to be in a really good place at this point in terms of accepting his role. And I know a lot of conversation has happened since the Donovan Mitchell trade in regards to Karis LeVert and Kevin Love and how if we do nothing, we would have some amount of cap space going into next summer that we could possibly use to make some maneuvers. Now, that sounds great in theory, but obviously it's very difficult to get any kind of value when you have to go into unrestricted free agency and seek it out that way. So naturally, a lot of talk has been committed to, well, maybe you flip Kevin or package LaVert with Kevin Love and take a huge swing. Of the iterations that I've seen, I'm not really an advocate for any of those deals. At least from what we've seen proposed and some of the rumors, the best bet is to just roll Love out there, let him continue in his role of, of super sub, sixth man of the year type candidate, and Levert, you know he's going to be motivated because it's a contract year. And the Cavs, by all accounts, I mean, just the fact he was the third one to speak yesterday, they seem to be doing everything they can to make sure that he feels the love and that he feels involved. And he spoke a lot about what he's been working on and how much it meant to him to have a chance to go through a full training camp because last year he was injured, had a back injury, and of course wasn't even on the Cavaliers. At that point was a pacer, so... It's always when you bring a guy in mid-year, there's growing pains, but now he gets a full off-season. He gets a lot of time around the guys. He's got every incentive in the world to fit into whatever role he can with this Cavalier team in hopes of getting re-signed or driving up his market value. So there's not many scenarios where two guys as skilled and potentially productive for what we need. Keep in mind, in that Donovan Mitchell deal, we sent out, Sexton, Ochai, Lowry, all guys who could stretch the floor. That didn't leave us with much in that regard. We're a deep team. You would like to see some more options in the way of three-point shooting. So Kevin Love is going to play a huge role. And Dean Wade, that extension, the three years, just over $18 million. We'll touch on that in more depth. But I think it's clearly a sign that the Cavaliers like what he brings in that capacity, as opposed to, say, Lamar Stevens or... Osman or even Okoro, who, while his percentages took a noticeable uptick last season, there are still people who question if that's not simply the result of being given a lot of space. Now, I don't care. He knocks him down. Great. I would love if the floor stays as open as possible for the guys like Garland and Mitchell. But I do think that Okoro has been noticeably quiet. And at media day, it was the same. And there was not a lot of focus put on him. And even the vets who spoke, they didn't really talk a lot about Okoro. You, of course, got a ton of conversation about Evan Mobley and the work he's been putting in. And they put those questions to him directly. And one of the questions was, how much weight have you put on? Because Evan Mobley looks noticeably bigger, in the arms especially. How much weight did you put on this summer? Um, I don't know the exact number, but um, I put on a, a, a good amount, 
a good amount of pounds. Um, yeah, I, I can't tell you the exact number, but I definitely feel stronger, um, definitely heavier, and um, I'm going to keep working and, and keep getting stronger and, and build on that as well. I wouldn't be shocked if he's added 10, 15 pounds of muscle, but from his own words, he said the things that he's been focusing on this summer. He's been really working with me uh, with my face-up game, really playmaking from uh, the elbow area and mid-range area and getting to my spots and um, hitting them and knocking them down. So um, I feel like that's where you're going to really see me uh, a lot this year. The first thing he said was he added a couple more at a different section of the presser, getting the ball off the rim, getting out and running, initiating the offense himself, but then also stretching the floor, getting ready to take more three-point shots, take more face-ups, and then he threw in the and of course working on the post game. So seems like he's got a chip on his shoulder from being passed over for that rookie of the year. And you even heard Garland touch on that. Yeah, Evan, he's on a he's on a mission right now. He's on that on the mission of the rookie of the year uh, campaign. So I think he felt that this year, felt that this summer, and uh, he really wants to show the world what he really can do and what they missed out on last year. So. Uh, yeah, he's coming in a lot more hungrier. Uh, he's a lot more stronger. We're super excited to see his jump. There were questions put to Darius Garland specifically about does he anticipate it being a problem that he'll have the ball in his hands a bit less or that he has to share the ball. And he made it quite clear that he was willing to sacrifice shots for the sake of a talent like Donovan Mitchell and that he's, his focus is winning taking another step forward. He specifically seemed quite emphatic that the Cavaliers are a playoff team and that's their expectation and that they will be there this year. So the themes from Kevin Love were one of happiness, gratitude, contentment, at ease with himself in a way that last year was a renaissance, obviously. Last year couldn't have gone much better. And personally, as it stands right now, I mean, this is all case by case. The idea of shopping those guys, first, I want to see what we got. I want to roll this team out. I want to settle into whatever our rotation is going to be in terms of the small forward and the wing position and how we divvy up minutes because, mind you, this is a much deeper squad than than we've really had for a while. And it's been getting that way because of how strong the Cavaliers' development is. And Kobe Altman touched on that yesterday about when thanking Dan Gilbert for allowing them to kind of shift the focus and make this into a team that really focused on player development. And now we're in a scenario where we've got three guys, all relatively young. You've got Okoro, you've got Dean Wade, who's only 25, and Lamar Stevens, all guys who've taken significant strides and could fill significant minutes. But now, now to touch on the Dean Wade thing. I think it's worth discussing that I haven't had a podcast since he extended three years for just over $18 million, which is a deal on par with that of what the Cavaliers gave Ricky Rubio. On first glance, it seems like well, you probably didn't need to pay him that much. And while that may be true, what I took, well, there's a couple of things I took away from this deal. The first is anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I am very cognizant of the money guys are paid. When Jared Allen got extended, I felt like the Cavaliers bid against themselves to some extent and that they probably could have locked him up to a long-term deal for $15 million. But he's earned it. Sometimes I get into this mode where I'm counting other people's dollars. Ultimately, 
the difference between 15 million a season and 20 million a season is negligible if you're getting all-star level play from your center and Allen certainly gave that. Despite my reservations at the time about making Allen a priority and putting Colin Sexton secondary priority, Jared Allen proved to be an excellent player. And Sexton, the main thing to come away from the Colin Sexton whatever you want to call it, debacle issue is that they didn't lose him for nothing. And that's the way that you can frame it. Even if you're the biggest Colin Sexton fan, if you want to take solace in what happened, even if you don't know where you're at on the Donovan Mitchell deal. And I am definitely a wait and see guy. I'm cognizant of the cap having been a Cavs fan for so many years, but I've never been less cognizant being that we already have a young core assembled and guys at every position who presumably could be long-term fits. It becomes less relevant to worry about what money we're going to have on the market. It's hard when you've been bad for three or four years in a row. You're, of course, fixated on the money, how to preserve flexibility, how to amass assets, how to leave yourselves with the most avenues to change the fortunes of your franchise using what you have in front of you. We are not at that point anymore. The time for pinch and pennies is gone because they're locked into the guys who Win or lose, it's going to be on the backs of Darius Garland, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Donovan Mitchell, for the however long into the future it may be. Donovan Mitchell could walk away at some point. That would be a disastrous blow given what we've just given up. But honestly, why would he want to? Look at this core. We will have to massively underachieve for that to happen, in which case we'll have nobody to blame but ourselves. But it is much harder to get worked up about the idea of giving away all of our assets in terms of draft assets and then the players who are movable who make significant amounts of money that you can be traded. I mean, we still have Love and Levert, but Markinen was that perfect range of contract which can be moved in any deal. Levert kind of falls into that same range. Abaji was just the prospect. You sacrificed him because the Jazz needed something to make the Cavs offer the one that stood out amongst others. And Sexton, I think will be great this year. I think his numbers will be great. Obviously, I don't expect much in the way of wins from Utah. But I guess what I'm saying is, again, I'm getting off the, the subject. I think it's important to look at where the Cavs are now. And we don't have to overanalyze things like the Dean Wade contract because the core is assembled. We're not going back under the salary cap anytime in the near future. Even this idea that we're going to wait on Love and Levert to come off the books and then we'll be in a, a player in free agency. The front office is not thinking that way. If they were thinking that way, they wouldn't have extended Dean Wade right now. There would be no need to do it. They could just wait and give themselves maximum flexibility. But that mindset is gone. We're not in that period. Now it's filling out the holes in the roster, trying to make the deepest most versatile lineup that we can possibly assemble. And that's why even as we go into next offseason, there has been talk about, well, we'll have cap space because Love and Levert could be off. the. I wouldn't think in that way. If Levert proves to be a fit and is logging big minutes and is staying healthy, he may very well get extended in the middle of a win streak for us. I don't know. I think it'll happen after the trade deadline, but I do think that there's a distinct chance that the Cavs will lock up whatever they plan there before next summer rolls around. Because in the market, 
even if they have Love's money, even if they have Levert's money, with all the extensions and all the money that we've added through the Garland extension, through the Allen signing, through bringing in Donovan Mitchell, through re-signing Rubio, they're not going to be a player for some big, huge game changer. Now, of course, we have this core, and I think one thing you always see when a team can prove to be a true contender is that you get a lot of ring chasers who become viable options. I mean, we're starting to hear Jake Crowder's name mentioned, which is disappointing as I hate him, and I think he's one of the most overrated contributors that you'll see out there because he's been with some very good teams in the last few years as a fifth to ninth option and a horrific percentage shooter, generally shooting below 40% in the playoffs, but reasonable three-point shooter, try hard, six fouls. We've got enough of those guys who are tryhards and who can shoot poorly while doing their best to slow down the other guy. I don't want to take a waiver on a guy like Crowder. I don't know why Phoenix would move him in a deal for Osman. That doesn't make much sense. The money's coming off the books soon enough anyway. Personally, I will be very disappointed if we give up anything of substance to bring in a guy like Crowder who objectively sucked in his first go-round here. I am willing to accept a distinct upgrade, but not what I would consider a largely lateral move. I want this team to be beloved, not just by Cavs fans, but by the casual fan. And Jay Crowder is one of the guys who immediately turns people against him. With Karis LeVert, I would not be shocked if he re-signs on a cheaper deal, simply because LeVert is making close to $20 million, $19-20 million. He's probably in line for a pay cut with the Cavaliers. But again, the Cavaliers have not shied away from compensating guys who they feel have worth to them. And, and not really focusing and fixating on the market costs. So, and, and certainly, I guess you could make that argument in reverse in that a lot of people, myself included, feel like Colin Sexton is a player who I wouldn't blink an eye at getting $20 million a season, but he was not worth that to the Cavaliers given their roster construction and the way that they felt their offense should be run and who they felt should be doing that. So now we get to see just how good the Cavs have done with this specific trade on identifying a need, which is isolation scoring, of course, and a guy who can take and make big shots when it comes to playoff and clutch situations and Donovan Mitchell and assimilating him to the Cavalier culture, putting him alongside Darius Garland. I've heard a lot of narratives over the course of the summer, which all these things are, you know, potentially true, I suppose, but the Cavaliers now have, Four all-star level players. Three guys who were all-stars last year. And then Evan Mobley, who could ascend to that level. We won't have four all-stars next year. There is going to come some stat siphoning when it comes to Mitchell playing alongside Garland. Allen, as much as I love him, I don't care if the guy makes another all-star game. It was great last year. It was great that he held off Pascal Siakam. It was great that he got in there, even if it was as an injury replacement. Still counts on basketball reference. But to me, the best thing that he can put on his resume at this point is simply games played. Stay on the floor. I, it's more about maintaining that level of play. Some guys were hurt in the first half of the season. Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam, who will probably be healthy, and who by all accounts are much more all-star type players in terms of their statistical profiles. But to have that foursome and then to have options, the Dean Wade signing is a clear message 
that the front office believes that he has a role with this team in the future because this is a guy who he had moments where he was in the rotation last year, but when we were completely healthy, you can't really justify paying a guy like Lowry Markinen all that money over $16 million a year and then, you know, taking him out of the rotation. Nor should they have because I will miss Markinen quite a bit. I felt like he was really coming on in the later part of last year. And I loved what he did defensively. I loved having that trio of guys all crash the glass. Felt like we were a fantastic rebounding team. Now, Wade is no slouch at rebounding either. He's very good for, you know, a wing guy. Because presumably he'll be slotting in as a small forward much of the time. And he had games last year. The Brooklyn game, the Knicks game. Certainly one of his games against the Raptors. Where he played very well. And, and you feel comfortable with his stroke. Take the percentages out of the assessment. I know Okoro, there's a lot of people who feel like his percentage doesn't reflect how good of a three-point shooter he is because many of his looks were wide open. And there's a lot of people who feel like Wade, the way to assess his three-point prowess, I suppose, beyond the fact he shot about 36%, he did it with teams knowing that was a huge part of his offensive game. And a guy who plays defense very well for, despite what you would have expected from an undrafted guy who played at Kansas State, he's much better than I ever would have expected. Now, Steven's also a good defender, and of course, Okoro is what Okoro is. I've felt kind of all along here that Okoro will probably get the nod at the starting small forward position, but I do hope a significant chunk of his minutes are spent guarding twos. Most of us agree that's where he's at his best. I like that we have the ability to roll out different lineups. And Levert touched on that at Media Day, too. When he was in Brooklyn, he got to play alongside you know, Spencer and D'Angelo, two guards, and he was sort of the de facto small forward, but it was essentially a three-guard lineup. And Levert seems hungry. Talked a lot about conditioning, which is something that you would focus on if you're expecting to get big minutes. You know, health is a big part of it, but also, you know, conditioning um, is a big part of it as well. If you can play longer than the guy you're playing against, you have a, you know, um, a step ahead. So I think for me, that was a big thing, you know, being in great shape. Um, And like I said, being healthy kind of adds to that. Being here at the start of the season is going to be huge, just building that foundation going forward. Conditioning becomes less relevant when you're a Robin Lopez or a guy who's, you know, playing spot minutes. Even Kevin Love will be used in spurts here, but presumably they'll get the most out of him. I feel like I'm saying presumably a lot on this podcast. I mean, I guess it's obvious that all these things are just assumptions on my part. I probably don't need to qualify them. The Dean Wade signing, same deal as Rubio, certainly feels like the front office is trying to get ahead of it and get him locked into a deal that may seem like a bit of an overpay for what you would have had to do now, but will seem like a value after we get to see what his role is this year. Now, the first guy I thought of when I saw that, that I thought, well, this might not be great for you, is Osman. Of all the guys who could get shopped this year, Osman would be the one that I think there's a possibility that he could be. We haven't heard a lot about him, and certainly he's at a position where it's sort of a committee scenario. Not to mention, we all know, the NPCDs last year and falling out of favor for a bit. I don't know where that sits with J.B. Bickerstaff, but for a guy who started last season so well and had a solid preseason, I mean, last year's preseason really got me hyped about Osman 
in terms of what his role would be. And he came out of the gate well. Him and Love started the season making me feel great about that second unit. Osmond, the transition game, and just the willingness to put the ball on the floor, certainly those are his best attributes, in my view. Mar Stevens, it's his defense, it's his hustle. You wish that he was a little bit better with initiating his own offense. I mean, but he was capitalistic on, he would seize on opportunities when guys would turn their head and dive and crash. You got to think the work that he's doing over the course of the summer is almost entirely focused on his shooting. If Lamar Stevens had a legitimate jump shot, he'd be right in the conversation amongst the guys who should log huge minutes. Dean Wade, of those wings, the one who could make the biggest leap, Okoro. Because he started from such a low point on the offensive end and he made a huge leap in year two in terms of efficiency. However, he still doesn't take many shots and that is something that will have to continue to improve. Capitalizing on guys, disrespecting him, giving the space and allowing these guys to get lanes. And specifically, I'm talking about Garland and Mitchell, of course. I touched on the Mitchell thing when it happened in terms of my reaction to the trade. I have my... I guess, hesitance when it comes to the money part of it. But that's always something that happens in the moment where you think, did we really have to give this much, all the picks and the players? As we get further from it, I care less about the picks because that's just the way it is. They're no longer assets to us. They won't be conveyed for years. I can start to do the whole out of sight, out of mind thing. But I will say, I don't like when people just dismiss the picks and say, well, we're going to be great. So these won't matter. 2029 is an eternity away, especially in NBA years. I mean, we saw the Brooklyn Nets go from, oh, they're going to be a super team with Harden and Kyrie and Kevin Durant to the whole thing imploding to potentially every one of those three being off that team this summer if things had played out differently. Now, obviously, Durant and Irving are back, boxed in a bit by their own choices. But Boston's another great example. This is a team who three months ago Favorites to win the title. This is the East is theirs for years to come. Now look at where they're at. Danilo Gallinari out for the season. Robert Williams, 8 to 12 weeks with his surgery. And their coach, gone. Well, not gone, suspended, but basically gone. He's going to be gone. The NBA's a fickle bitch. Let's just get to when Donovan Mitchell has the ability to walk away first and see what happens. And then we'll start to assess what we're going to look like in 2027, 2028, 2029. I do love the players that we gave up. I would have loved to hold on to one of those two wing players, Abaji or Markkanen, but it is what it is at this point. Now we get to see. I mean, you have to look at what Altman's done, be it Allen, be it bringing in Rubio, be it bringing back Rubio, what he's got out of Kevin Love in terms of he and Bickerstaff convincing him to play in the role that he's done. And even though we haven't seen a ton from Levert yet, just the fact that you acquired him in a rem- uh, uh, it was a deal that reminded me of the Ilgoskis deal, except completely legal. We trade a guy, we get an asset like Levert, then the guy just comes back to us. Just having the ability to see what Levert gives us between the two and three, this whole debate about which of these guys will fill the minutes, it may become which of Stevens, Wade, Osman, Okoro are filling largely backup minutes at the three if Levert plays well enough. Now, I happen to think that his best role is primarily in a scenario where he's not sharing all his time on the floor with Mitchell and with Darius Garland because he needs the ball in his hands so much and because one of his best abilities is his 
isolation scoring, essentially. But it does require a bit of pounding the ball. So we didn't get to hear from Rolo too much. I mean, he, he made some comments on Twitter and everything. But I'm excited as we get into this season, just maximum likability. And I can't wait for October 5th and for this schedule to get started. But I'm going to make some bold predictions. Last year, I was pretty much dead on with my Jared Allen prediction. I screwed up a lot of other ones along the way. I don't, obviously, nobody expected what happened with Sexton to happen. And I think we all went in wondering what would happen with Kevin Love. Uh, if you had told me before last season that he would be in contention for sixth man of the year, playing very modest amount of minutes, I would not have expected that. But this year, my expectation would be, I'm just going to shotgun these. Four seed, 50 wins. Mobley averages just under 20 and 10. And Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland see a slight dip in overall numbers. Mitchell more efficient. Allen, the same as last year. Breakout guys, I think Okoro will establish himself as the starting small forward. I think Levert will continue to be hit or miss as a sixth man in terms of big scoring nights, minimal nights, times where it seems like he's pounding the ball, other nights where you think that he could score on anyone he wants at will. And with Dean Wade, I don't expect a big statistical output. I expect a big minute uptick. I would be happy with him scoring 8 to 10 points a game on 36 to 38% from three and chipping in five to six rebounds. That would be fantastic. Now, I am going to say that Evan Mobley will not be an all-star this year. And I realize that's probably not a popular sentiment amongst Cavs fans, but I just think it's going to be very difficult for him to get the stats that he would need. I mean, look at last year. He lost rookie of the year to a guy who he's clearly better than simply because their numbers were basically on par. The problem with Mobley is that numbers don't tell the whole picture, and we're going to have to hope that he makes such an impact. A lot of buzz gets going from his peers, from other players in the NBA, from other coaches in the NBA, and he would be able to ride that momentum to an all-star selection despite the numbers. But let's not kid ourselves. When it comes to NBA Twitter, when it comes to fans voting, scoring is really a huge factor in all of that. If he's going to take an all-star spot, he's going to have to take it from guys like Bam Adebayo and Pascal Siakam and Jared Allen, quite frankly. I don't see any scenario where both of them can make it because if he's going to get in, he's going to get in by taking the spot of somebody who would have otherwise been a traditional center. Pascal Siakam was fantastic second half of the season. Bam Adebayo was fantastic. And you still have all the same regular guys who are first option guys on their squads. Now, defensive player of the year, I absolutely think with team success, comes a great chance for him to be a first-team All-NBA defense guy. Defensive Player of the Year might be a little bit of an aggressive goal for year two, but I think he's absolutely in the running for first-team All-NBA defense next year. If you look at ESPN's top 100 players, they already have him as the second-best guy on the team. He was in the 30s, 36, I believe. They put Evan Mobley ahead of Darius Garland and Jared Allen, two All-Stars. Garland came in at 46 for them, Jared Allen at 52, and Evan Mobley at 36. I would simply be happier if he's stronger. I would expect Mobley will be more in the 18 points a game range, and we'll see him consistently around 10 rebounds, an uptick in his assists. I do expect to see that. It does seem like he wants to play a bigger role in getting the rebound and getting out and running himself and initiating. So we may see him pick up some easy assists. I think the easiest thing to predict is his three-point stroke will get better. 
his shooting will get better. A lot of the people who made their case against him for rookie of the year pointed to his three-point percentage and his free-throw percentage, which fell off a cliff as the season went on. He clearly wore down. It is very important that he's able to stay on the court, but also, while statistically his numbers were pretty consistent start to finish, his percentages did wane as the year went on. And a lot of that is attributable to the fact that Jared Allen was gone and that a lot of our pieces were gone and that teams were able to key against him. But with free throws, that just felt mental for some reason. I mean, he was very solid the first half of the year, and towards the end of the season, he just had a horrible cold streak. He is going to benefit hugely from all the added offensive firepower and attention that Donovan Mitchell brings. So, October 5th, preseason begins against the 76ers, back-to-back games against them, so we get to see non-fat James Harden coming in motivated, taking a questionable pay cut that some people think was collusive between him and Daryl Morey. That team looks to be real good. They'll be certainly near the top of the East. Joel Embiid, an excellent way to challenge Jared Allen and Evan Mobley right out of the gate, presuming that he's playing. And then the regular season kicks off October 19th with one of my favorite sort of rivalries. Rivalries in the sense that Scotty Barnes fan club always comes gunning for Evan Mobley and the Cavs. It's, it's the way I felt when LeBron was here and all the Kobe stands would ride. That's what we're looking at until Evan Mobley clearly separates himself from Scotty Barnes this year. But back with more podcasts. Thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for tolerating my, my massive hiatus this summer. I treated it as if I was a school teacher and I was gone for the summer. I don't really have a good excuse in the sense that, yes, I moved. Yes, I'm in a different house. I built a new studio, all those things. But uh, I could have podcasted more. I just wanted to get settled. A lot of painting, a lot of fixing stuff up a lot of patching and repairing, and I am horrible at uh, multitasking. More Fear the Pro podcast on the way, though. Thank you for being here, and we will be back definitely as the preseason gets underway less than a week away, or roughly a week away. I didn't do the math. Just October 5th, okay? You have a calendar. Look it up. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.